everyone, and welcome back to the AirPod. I'm Maggie Ruley. And before you turn this off, just wait a minute. You are totally right. Uh, this is the correct podcast. I know you're normally listening and waiting to hear the wonderful voice of Omid Scobie, because aren't we all? Um, he is the man behind this AirPod. You hear him laughing there, so I do promise we are going to hear from him. Now, normally, he's the one bringing us to the most fun place to find all of this week's royal news. But friends, you may have noticed that this week, Omid's book came out, and he has sort of become the headline of this week's royal news. So we're going to mix things up here on the AirPod. I am taking over. I'm stepping in. I'm going to ask Omid all of the burning questions that are on your mind about his new book, Finding Freedom, Harry and Meghan and the Making of a Modern Royal Family. Omid, people have so many questions about this book. They want to know <laughs> so much. But first off, I want to know, how are you doing, Omid? This has been a major week. I'm so proud of you and all that you've done. Thank you. I'm, to be honest, exhausted. But I've, <laughs> I've sure. been long looking forward to this podcast throughout the week because I feel like it's probably the safest space to talk about everything. Um, <laughs> as you may have noticed, I am somewhat losing my voice uh, after several dozen interviews. But um, I it think has the number been, was over yeah. 65, you mentioned. <laughs> it's been a very You've interesting been busy. week. But yeah. I think it's been great to see such a positive reaction from readers of the book and those who have gone out to buy it so i'm of course very grateful as is my co-author carolyn durand uh we have definitely uh were a little anxious when we mm -hmm. put this book out because i think it exists in your own bubble for such a long time and of course at some point you do have to let it out into the world um, but it has been it's been great to see it well received and for more, more importantly for people to see that this is a book that tells another side of the story and for them to actually get to hear that. Well, let's go into that a little bit. I mean, I, I have to say, so if everyone's wondering, if you don't know this already, the book came out this week and it is selling out fast. I got my copy. I read it all like sped read in 24 hours because there was uh, it was a fast page turner. There was so much to take in, so much you want to know. You cannot put it down. And, and, you know, you mentioned Omid being sort of excited, but also somewhat nervous for this book to come out. But take me back to the very beginning. I mean, how did this book even come about? Where did it start? Well, it's interesting. You know, Carolyn and I started this book a couple of years ago. It was mm -hmm. just before the royal wedding uh, that we really sort of properly got started on, on it. And, you know, the real beginnings of this book were about wanting to get to the bottom of some of the tabloid tales, because time and time again, we found that our own experience having that front row seat to their Harry and Meghan's working world and getting to know the people working for them, past and present, and even the people in their lives, such as close friends, we found that many people felt that the individuals they're reading about on the pages of some of the tabloids were very different to the people they knew in real life. And it became clear to us that there were certain narratives evolving that may not necessarily be that accurate. And so we really wanted to be able to get to the other side of the story, to get to the bottom of some of the gossip. But also, of course, what we didn't expect were the twists and turns that lied ahead. We, of course, never in a million years <laughs> expected Harry and Meghan to no longer be working members of the royal family. Of course, this was originally going to be a book that told the story of that beautiful courtship their first year of marriage, Archie's first days at home, and probably end sometime around that trip to Southern Africa. 
and my how things have changed <laughs> since then. I know. Gosh, it's, it's, it's an understatement even. I mean, like you said, who would have ever expected this is how the book would end? Uh, but you really follow all of that drama in the book and uh, you do it in a way that gets to the bottom of a lot of stories, answers a lot of questions that people had. And, and you know, I'm curious we have to address sort of the big rumor that's been going around Omid. And I know you're probably mm. exhausted of being asked this, but when you read the book, there are so many details in this book. There are so many stories that are shared. And the question that I think you've probably been asked in every single interview you've done is, was the royal couple involved? Did you talk to Harry and Meghan for this book? Did they have a hand in writing or editing or any involvement in this book? Yeah, you know, it's interesting. I think everyone is so desperate for this to be another Diana Hooch, her true story moment. And I'm sorry, it couldn't be further from the truth. This is an unofficial, unauthorized biography. Harry and Meghan didn't give any interviews on or off the record. They had no involvement or cooperation with the book. But I think the unique situation that we found ourselves when reporting and writing the book was that so many people in Harry and Meghan's circle and in their sort of extended uh, field around them, whether it was the work that they did with charities or people within the palace, they often were very frustrated with some of the things that they were reading in the pages of the tabloids. There were stories that some of these people had been in the room for and could just couldn't connect the version of that story that ended up in the public domain. And so for Carolyn and I, we not only had an opportunity to speak with some of those people to really get to the bottom of them you know there are big rumors that I think have played the couple for some time some of them quite ridiculous to be honest mm -hmm. whether Megan made Kate cry at a bridesmaid's fitting which you know really when you think about it it's really impossible to imagine these two professional women in some sort of public cat fight but I think that says a lot about some of the sexist stereotypes mm -hmm. that exist in certain sections of the media today but it was important for us to really get to the bottom of those because actually those rumors can be very damaging and I think they also played into some really unpleasant and ugly stereotypes that we see around uh, people from different uh, cultures, uh, different ethnicities, women. And, you know, and that exists uh, generally in certain parts of the media. But I think particularly when it comes to women marrying into the royal family, they have the toughest time. And it felt like there was just more to this story than what was out there. Well, it's so interesting. In, in, in the book, you notice you definitely give a voice uh, to this story and uh, share sides of the story in an in-depth way that you often just can't get in a quick article online. And, and so it was great to sort of read the background of some of these. You know, maybe you see a tabloid headline here and there. It's, it's a quick read. It's clickbait. But then to actually dive into it and, and look closer at what really happened, complicated situations with complicated people, you know, there is a lot to this story. And so to have a full novel like this to dive into, it was so important. And what's also fascinating about this novel, Omid, besides getting into this drama in a very unique and authentic way, is the details that you have. And I think this is also, you know, a part of the reason people are just absolutely convinced that you had to have talked to Harry and Meghan about this, because I admit that the details in this uh, book, Omid, are incredible. I mean, I was blown away. Now, without revealing it too much, you're going to have to read it yourself. I don't want to be a spoiler over here. Um, but you have details, you know, like what drinks they ordered before for their first date and what music they listened to on their wedding day and the, the morning of their wedding. I mean, just really intimate, personal and enlightening details. So how did you learn all of these details? What was your process like for gathering these, you know, really special nuggets from their lives? Well, you know, I think that was some of the 
most enjoyable parts of mm. reporting for this book because you know and I, I use that word reporting because alongside speaking with sources and I have to add that amongst those hundred or more than a hundred people that we spoke to for the book that covered Harry and Meghan's uh, personal circle their mm. professional circle and also their sort of philanthropic space that they work in we also spoke to those close to the Cambridges to the Prince of Wales and even the Queen herself but on top of that, there was a lot of reporting here. You know, I went back to certain venues that they had spent time at. Mm. We went back to uh, the, the location that Meghan spent her final evening before marrying Harry just to get some of those details. And that really comes down to sort of good old fashioned on the ground <laughs> journalism. Mm -hmm. And, you know, we definitely came across some great details. We we're very lucky. You know, I would say one thing, especially with members of the royal family, uh, it's very rare that these stories remain within sort of two people. Uh, there are always many people around, many people involved. And I think that's why and how we've seen so many stories about Harry and Meghan in the pages of the tabloids. But I think that often when we hear those, they are from within palace quarters. And, you know, that really does actually sort of lead into why Harry and Meghan actually made that decision that they made to step away or at least one of the reasons they were very frustrated with a lot of that tabloid intrusion in their lives that would have perhaps been something they could have put up with had it have been accurate or fair but some of so much of it seemed to come from people far removed from the situation or even from quarters of the palace itself that they felt weren't necessarily in a supportive way mm. which is why we saw so many negative things written about Harry and Meghan. I think they really wanted to do something about that at points, that no comment policy that the palace often has with tabloid stories is fine and actually effective in some ways because it stops you getting into having to explain every story that's out there. But it can also be very damaging. Mm. We saw that Duchess difficult character or that persona emerge uh, in much of the reporting we saw around Meghan. She was too loud, too ambitious, too difficult, too everything. And that really played off some uh, very unpleasant, racially insensitive stereotypes. The things that we see attached to uh, successful women, successful women of colour. And I think those are the times where they felt that it would have been appropriate to not treat it as a no comment situation. Mm -hmm. Ultimately, what we have today is I think in certain parts of the media, Harry and Meghan exist as caricatures as themselves it's what the media has created their personalities as rather than who they are and so these little details that you mention in the book it's important for me to have them in there because it humanizes them as a couple it rehumanizes mm. them because i think there are many points in which it feels like they have been reported on and treated as anything but well, it's a good point reminding people that you know they're humans, we're all humans, and it's complex. People aren't easy to pin down, and so when you give them sort of a, a diverse character, it's easier to remember that they have feelings and emotions and are humans. Uh, but I'm, mm. I'm curious, Omid, you know, you mentioned the, the palace, sort of the talking point is we don't respond, right? We don't um, engage with media, with tabloids, we don't respond to stories, uh, whether they're fact or whether they're rumors and, and fictitious. So, Owen, what did they think about your book? Has the palace reacted at all? Have they reached out to you, any of the houses? It's, of course, been a no comment situation, mm -hmm. as one would expect. And 
you know, I don't expect there to be public response from the palace in that capacity. However, it has been very interesting to see some of the conversations that have clearly come from those quarters uh, with certain areas of the, the tabloid press. I think it's been interesting to see commentary emerge from anonymous palace sources or royal aides uh, almost discrediting the book without having actually read it because it, of course it only came out a few days ago hmm. um, there was this almost fear internally that it would be something incredibly damaging to the royal family and if I'm being quite honest I think a lot of that boils down to a fear of a truth coming out and I think that this book does pull back the curtain in some ways on that sort of inner workings of the machine uh, that runs the institution of the monarchy. But I think, I also think that what's in this book is fair and balanced. You know, that's why I mentioned that it was important for us to speak to those close to the Cambridges and to other members of the royal family. So when we look at those later stages of why Harry and Meghan stepped back, we not only understand why they did it, but we also understand why other members of the family may have not appreciated the way it was done in a certain way or you know just to give us that balance overview i have had a lot of people say in the past couple of weeks that the book seems like it's not bad and that it's sorry i have had i have had people say uh, publicly in the last couple of weeks that the book may be uh, too one-sided that it's not balanced enough and my argument for that is this exists alongside what is already out there. We've often heard uh, sources within the palaces, uh, sources close to members of the royal family already briefing the press on how others have felt about these stories. And so this is now the turn to hear the other side of that. So when we look at that entire ecosystem, we then have a balanced overview of everything. You mentioned that word, um, the truth omit, and how the book pulls back the curtain on some of it. And uh, there are, are plenty of revelations in this book and uh, takes on stories that maybe you've heard before, but you, now you're going to hear them in a brand new light. But I'm curious, Omit, was there anything you held back on? Were there other stories that you felt you couldn't publish for any reason? Was there some part of the truth that then now is not in this book? I mean, I think that everything that we need to understand the situation and have a better understanding for uh, how Harry and Meghan felt and why they did that, did what they did and what drove them to it, I think that's all in the book. We've really tried to leave no stone unturned. But, of course, as we, as we mentioned in, in our author's note, this is a book that has relied on the sourced reporting from many but we've wanted to make sure that every information, every claim in the book is has at least two sources to back that up. Mm. And where things are varied, we've sometimes included the thoughts or opinions of both sort of opposing views from various sources. Um, but there are certain things where we've just not felt strong enough in the reporting that we have, haven't included in the book. And it's possible that we may... Uh, expand on those uh, if there is an update at some point um, but at the, the moment I'm very happy with what we have in there but of course like I think and I think any royal correspondent would say this there are many things that they know that they just can't use 
at that particular are time. Are we teasing a sequel, Omid? <laughs> You're like, Maggie, calm I think down. If I'm, being, <laughs> if I'm being very honest, this is a one-book situation. <laughs> I think that Harry and Meghan's story is clearly only beginning in many mm. ways, but for, for both Carolyn and I, I think it was very important to have something that captured a historical moment for the royal family, one that will be looked back on for many years to come. There was this fantastic opportunity for the royal family to progress, to modernise. And, you know, I think in many ways for the royal family to survive, it must keep up with the evolution of society. It must reflect what is outside of the palace. And and this chance to uh, have sort of a more diverse family picture in front of the world was there and it wasn't embraced or harnessed in the way that it should have been and ultimately it's why you know Harry and Meghan are at this point that they're at as non-working members of the royal family they will go on to succeed and they will go on to have no regrets as they already don't but I would imagine that there are some within the palace that feel quite sad about the situation that it could have been such an exciting chapter but it just didn't happen yeah and you know i do have to say too we're kind of talking about some of the the end right now but what was great about this book is that it reminded me a lot about the beginning as well you know you dive into who megan is and her upbringing as well as harry's past and how they met and it was a really fun chance to relive their love story and you know i it brought back memories to me of when we were both there covering their wedding and it was such (laughs) just a a time of joy and happiness and uh, so much hope and you know i noticed um out of all of the events that have taken place over the past few years and out of all the events that you've covered you open up the book with their engagement and Mm. for me that seemed like a a really pointed choice of yours so I'm curious why out of all the things you could have chosen you know the dramatic end um, all of the drama why did you choose their engagement to open the book with? You know I think that represented a moment in this story that was filled with hope and excitement excitement for a new chapter a new era for the royal family a new moment in harry's life it's the point in harry's life that his priority shifted it wasn't Mm. about him and the world in which he lived in he had brought someone into that and suddenly as he said they were a team he saw megan and as his teammate so this was really the beginning of them entering that chapter together on a very hopeful note and you know i think as that introduction sort of closes out we we end up with Megan in her, at her final engagement and that was a moment you know I was there for that and that was a moment where I felt it was almost surreal that yeah. in such a short amount of time as exciting as that beginning was we had come to this very disappointing end that it somehow didn't work out and why didn't it work out? How did the institution of the monarchy fail Harry and Meghan? Uh, it's Britain's largest establishment. You know, it's something that shouldn't happen, but did. And, and you know, it's something we've definitely seen over the decades. Uh, women uh, being married into the royal family and becoming part of the institution of the monarchy and leaving scarred. Hmm. And... I said this to someone else earlier this 
week if, if this was a business i would be really sort of investigating perhaps by human resources how this happens over and over again it's um it's it's very unfortunate and i think that what this book really paints out is a picture of a couple that didn't blindside their family to make this decision they actually tried for many moments throughout their time as working royals to make changes and to improve the quality of their life within the royal family and many of those times it fell on deaf ears or it didn't seem to be taken seriously enough or the re response was to almost fall in line and grow a thicker skin and for you know maybe decades ago that would have worked or it would have been acceptable but in this day and age and with a royal family that's being you know when it comes to advocacy for mental health which i would say that they lead on when it comes to the younger royals that's not an option anymore mm. um, but again harry and Meghan weren't able to thrive within that environment and you know so, the, so to go back to the beginning of the book i think we're really setting up to sort of the hope in the story but then entering into that journey of where it goes wrong and unpacking how it went wrong and we're going to have so much more right after the break. Well, it's really interesting, Omid, that you hit upon so many things there, especially this idea of what it means to be a woman and I mean, really today's monarchy, today's world. And obviously we know Megan is so outspoken with feminism. She's been outspoken well before she entered the royal family on feminism. So this is nothing new. Uh, and she's also been mm. outspoken about her race. And this was something else that she brought to the royal family. And I think we also saw the way that uh, tabloids and media reacted to one, like you say, a, a woman entering the royal family, but also a, sort of an advocate for, for you know, racial equality and a, a mixed race woman entering the royal family. And so it's hard to ignore that those also could have that also could have played a factor into what happened. But how much do you think that was at play in both the way that the couple um was sort of welcomed into this family and in the exit. Mm. Well, I think before before I get into that, it's important to note that Harry's has this amazing ability to differentiate the or to, to have that very distinguished line between his family, the royal family, mm. and the institution of the monarchy. And when we look at individual royal family members, the Queen and Prince Charles particularly, they really embraced the couple. Mm -hmm. And we saw the Queen really take Meghan under her wing at points. And we go into great detail about that in the book. Uh, of course, she uh, brought Meghan into the fold in a very public way with that day of engagement in Chester very early on, uh, much earlier into Meghan's career as a working member of the royal family than Kate's uh, experience when she married in. And I would imagine that's because Meghan and was more you know older and more mature and more accomplished at that point but and, and and the same goes for prince charles we really go into detail about how enamored he was with her with her sort of dynamism and and just really mm. excited about what she brought but of course the institution of the monarchy is much bigger than that it mm -hmm. is more, more than just the members of the royal family it's the households that they belong to it's it's the courtiers the aides the staff within those households that really supports the and keep the machine of the monarchy running uh, that is really where we start you know we look back at diana's uh, very famous interview uh, with martin bashir 
and her, the book that she did with Andrew Morton, she talks about the men in grey suits. And, you know, it sounds like characters out of the movie, but there is a sort of old guard that does exactly that. They guard and protect the institution. They have the best interests of members of the royal family. But the members of the royal family that they work for within the household that they belong to, there are three very separate households that we know within the institution. Harry and Meghan not being that high on the pecking order, shall we say, you know, there's several rungs down the ladder. Harry is the famous spare heir title, which I'm sure he has long resented, uh, or at least not appreciated. Um, so they found themselves often kind of at the side. You know, an, an aide once said to me that their team sort of felt like the squeaky third wheel of Buckingham Palace. Hmm. And I think as much as they wanted that protection and that support as a couple facing difficulties with the press, uh, uh, being able to sort of really uh, uh, utilise the platform that they had on, on the world stage as very popular members of the royal family. So we had this unique situation where despite mm. this incredible machine of the monarchy, Harry and Meghan were very much a small part of it. They were several rungs down the ladder. Harry, of course, is not in that direct line of succession. He is famously the spare heir title I'm sure he has never appreciated and has made finding that path in life very difficult. Of course, it's only later in life that we saw him really find himself through his uh, military career and, of course, establish himself as a hero, as Captain Wales in that community. Um, in fact, I would argue that Harry has always been at his best when he has been sort of the man without a title. You know, he is uh, when he's just Harry in uh, uh, when he visits Africa, parts of Africa, when he is Captain Wales. That's really when you get to see authentic, authentic Harry. But I digress. <laughs> Their team may have been supportive, but it was small. Outside of that team, you have many households with their own priorities and those priorities often didn't include Harry and Meghan so when it came to taking on the press um, that no comment approach suited everyone else and there was no need for it to change for Harry and Meghan or at least that was the approach within. Uh, Harry and Meghan had this amazing popularity on the world stage and they wanted to harness that they wanted to do more with that but of course, as I say, hierarchy is very important. So they weren't always able to do as much as they wanted to do or when they wanted to do things. Because, of course, you have to think of other members of the royal family for. So there, I think there are times that they really felt very alone within this institution. Uh, their voices weren't always heard. And I think for a couple that have so many ideas and such high ambitions, that would have been very frustrating for them, as well as that feeling of just not being supported on the more difficult matters. Mm. You really do get a sort of a full scope in the book of the beginning to, uh, well, where we are right now and the difficulties like you mentioned. And I don't think it's a, it's a spoiler to make this announcement that in case you, you don't know, Harry and Meghan, you know, did move to California, just in case that's, you know, no one knows that yet. <laughs> um, so I feel like I'm safe saying that I didn't ruin the book, right? Um, but, you know, I'm curious, Omar, this is obviously a huge change. They, you know, are no longer working royals. They, 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 they left England. Um, do you think after all of these changes, are there, is the couple happy now? Did they find that freedom that the title suggests? I mean, what, have things changed since the book was written that maybe has helped them find some type of happiness? 
Yeah, it's, you know, it's interesting. You only need to look at where they're at now and what they're doing to see that freedom that they did find without sounding corny. They, you know, we see Harry just this week talking about systemic racism mm. with an American civil rights leader. We see the couple working with the Stop Hate for Profit movement. I think these are things that as working members of the royal family may not have been possible due to them being considered certainly within the institution as perhaps a little too politically sensitive now i would personally argue that these are humanitarian issues but that is the way it goes often and it's why i would imagine uh, we haven't heard members of the royal family uh, really enter any conversation about the black lives matter movement despite it mm. uh, really becoming a, a huge part of the the landscape here in the uk as much as it is in the us and so even just to look at their work we see harry and megan their, their voice is louder than ever uh, their ability to focus on uh, social issues that are, are important to them and to, to advocate on a much bigger scale that that's all there and it's happening right now and of course it will only get bigger as they uh, step up to launch their non-profit archwell either at the end of this year or the beginning of next of course we've seen them lay their roots in California this week, we had it confirmed by spokespeople for the couple that they bought a incredible home. In it's Santa pretty fantastic Barbara. in a fantastic area. It's, I mean, that oh, perfect weather. <laughs> well done. It's brilliant. And 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 might I add, they paid for this home mm -hmm. with their own money. You know, there were reports initially. I think that Prince Charles had funded the house, and maybe that conclusion was made because Prince Charles did make it very clear to the couple that he would always be there for financial support if they need it. And that is something separate in itself. You know, Harry and Meghan's relationship with the Prince of Wales since leaving has actually only bettered. Uh, I think sometimes it takes concerns over the, uh, the health of a, a parent or a parent-in-law to really bring a family together. And I think that that has really been uh, a great moment for for them as a family you know it's we've also seen harry and william communicate again uh, despite the, the fractures that we saw them leave their relationship with uh, at the end of may at that commonwealth service mm. and of course the queen has always been a strong presence in harry's life continues to be so she speaks to them regularly of course has made it very clear to the couple that the door is always open for them um, but when we really look at where they are at the moment, they are so forward focused. I can't see them ever looking back. I can't see them ever wanting to step back into those formal uh, royal roles as working royals. I think the UK will always play a role in their life. They have family here. I think if we weren't in the middle of a very unique uh, global challenge at the moment, uh, they probably would even have come here for the summer to visit the Queen at Balmoral. But I think we now see a couple that are very happy, that are thriving, and that's very exciting. And, you know, for me, that's why, you know, some people ask, is there going to be another book? And I think that actually this book really tells the story it needs to tell. It leaves on this very, very hopeful note of a couple that are beginning that new chapter, that new chapter of freedom and that new chapter of positivity and having control of their lives. You know, there was a source that spoke about their decision to purchase this home and they said that they were the couple were incredibly proud and happy of being able to do something on their own. And, you know, like, like everyone, they actually have a mortgage on this house and they're not afraid to admit that. And I think that's quite something refreshing about that. But clearly that independence is something that they 
craved so much and maybe harry i would imagine more so and you know as we know he was really in the driver's seat for this decision megan was the one that uh, supported him throughout that but despite the many tabloid reports we saw she is not uh, the one that made this happen well I, I think you make a really good point you kind of took the words right out of my mouth there omid that uh, despite i think people may think by the way things turned out in the past few months, this book almost ends on a, a sad negative note. It's quite the opposite. I think the book ends and it's really, uh, it's not an end. It's it's sort of a launch pad. It's the beginning for mm -hmm. this couple and for the future of the royal family. And it leaves it very open-ended. You know, um, this is not the end of their story. It's not the end of their story with the royal family. Yes, they're no longer working royals. But as you mentioned, they're going to be back and forth. They're going to still have relationships. And, you know, for me, it was it's good to hear from you that some of the relationships that maybe seemed fractured in the book have actually improved since you know the time this was written in the past few months and so it's very hopeful you know the future uh has hope in it still and i think that this couple is just beginning sort of all of um the work that they want to do and their journey and that definitely comes across in this book and i know i already asked you sort of about what the reaction from the palace has been to, to, to this book as well but um ending on that hopeful note i'm curious what fans have said i mean I, have people reached out to you that have read this book already or have been wanting to read this book or just started it what do people think regular people who have been following the tabloids and been um, following the media reports what do they say to you about this book I mean, I think it's been great to actually have people with the book in their hands because mm. I think a lot of the coverage about it in the build-up was either misleading or completely inaccurate. And so it's always nice that they can actually see the story for themselves and not just the extracts to actually get that full picture. It, it has been really overwhelming to see uh, people enjoying the book um, and such great comments online as well. I think, you know, listen, there are Harry and Meghan are a couple where I think I think there are some certainly in the UK have been quite polarizing, but the interest is still there in them. And beyond Harry and Meghan, this is also just a great love story as well. When you take away the royal drama, and I think that peek into royal life, that peek into the, the sort of machine and machinations of the institution of the monarchy are also fascinating in themselves. And it's what makes these stories uh, sort of appeal for, for years to come. But it has been great to really be able to cap to that historic moment in royal history and you know I'm, I'm really excited about the conversations that will evolve from this book beyond talking about Harry and Meghan it has been really encouraging to have conversations about uh, the issues surrounding uh, sort of racial bias or racial racial insensitivity in sections of the media sexist stereotypes that have propelled or uh, really been part of some of the coverage about uh, these characters you know the, the dueling duchess's narrative kate versus megan you know that these are things that are born out of a, a perhaps slightly toxic side of um sort of like tabloid culture certainly in the uk and i think it's it's encouraging to see people to, wanting to talk about that and to dissect that a bit and the book of course go, does go into that, that. so yeah i, I hope that people will still have many things to ask about it. You and I will be here on the we'll podcast every week. Don't you so. worry. What I was going to tease people. Uh, with so is, yeah. I, oh, okay. I, I, 
what I was going to tease people with as well is that my other favorite part of this book is you go behind the scenes on all of the royal trips and, you know, covering the royals. And so it's just a great sort of uh, look beneath the, uh, you know, underneath the curtain of uh, what actually goes into covering the royals. So you get sort of a love story. You also get just uh, behind the scenes uh, royal reporting. There's a lot to dig into. And we're going to be talking a lot more about it, I know. And uh, Omid, in case. I was going to say, yeah. if people have questions, if people have questions, do send them to either you or myself yes, please on do. Twitter. I'm actually really curious people's hashtag, main questions. Yeah, I think we could do an entire episode, Omid, of just people's questions after they read the book. Yes, let's give it a couple of weeks. We'll do a book club. Mm. Oh, that's a fun idea. Okay, guys, book club. Where should they send their questions again, Omid? <laughs> just to yourself, at Maggie Ruley, or myself, at Scoby on Twitter. Use a hashtag, the AirPod, so we can find it easily. And um, we'll pull we'll pull them together and do a little yeah, deep that'll dive. Yeah, that fun. Major book club deep dive. And if you need to get the book still, where can people find your book and in what platforms? What do we have to do to, to track this down? Well, where it, it's, it's available in any way that you can consume a book. <laughs> uh, we have multiple languages. There's large print versions. There's an audio book. And in fact, speaking of the audio book, um, when this episode finishes, I actually wanted to leave the show with a preview of the audiobook um so that you can get you a little read, feel for the right? book yourself if you <laughs> so guys <laughs> yes. if you turn into <laughs> this podcast just to hear the melodic voice of omid don't you worry you have an entire <laughs> book that omid reads for you i'm really excited to listen to this omid it was a it was an interesting experience I, listen narrating <laughs> books is not part of my usual wheelhouse but it was certainly fun fun to do and also great for me to remind myself of what was in it in the book yeah. because of course <laughs> it has been in the works for, for a little while um but yeah check go to hc.com slash finding freedom uh, for more details on uh, where to find it in your area or your country um and again thank you for, for all the support it's been very exciting to see people actually going out and reading it and talking about it well Omid, i'm so proud of you i know you've been working on this book for quite some time it was a lot of hard work but it is so wonderful i'm so excited to hear what people um, have to say about it the questions that they have i'm really looking forward to our book club and thanks for letting me take over your podcast for the day i really feel like this was the power trip that i needed <laughs> well it looks like it was in perfect hands <laughs> I, I um i realized though the one thing that i didn't ask was you know how to end the podcast so i feel like i'm just gonna sign off i'm gonna make up some catchphrases and we're gonna toss it um i'm gonna say hi yoshi uh catch you next week catch you on the flip side air potters <laughs> what up omid squad and stick around because you're gonna hear some omid voice his beautiful voice, <laughs> narrating uh, Finding Freedom. Thanks, guys. It's the intro chapter, so enjoy. Bye. <laughs> Bye. Introduction. With the last of their luggage arriving onto the four-acre Mille Fleur estate in Victoria, Canada, where they would be staying for the next six weeks, Harry and Meghan breathed a collective sigh of relief. Most of their belongings had already been placed in advance of their arrival in the grand his-and-hers walk-in closets of the 11,416-square-foot mansion they had rented from an acquaintance. They were worlds away from Frogmore Cottage, their home in Windsor, but that wasn't necessarily a bad thing. Though the smiles on their faces at public engagements had been consistent through their departure, 
The weeks leading up to their Air Canada flight from London's Heathrow Airport in mid-November were anything but cheerful. Having recently launched lawsuits against three British tabloids for invasion of privacy and phone hacking allegations, the Duke and Duchess of Sussex seemed more targets of the press than ever. For Harry especially, it was all getting to be too much. Doesn't the Queen deserve better? screamed a Daily Mail headline, which the Prince read online. He couldn't understand why the media were so hell-bent on tearing them down. These people are just paid trolls, he later told a friend. Nothing but trolls, and it's disgusting. Scrolling on his iPhone, he sometimes couldn't stop himself from reading the comments on the article. H&M disgust me. They are a disgrace to the royal family. The world would be a better place without Harry and Meghan in it. The last comment had over 3,500 upvotes. Harry instantly regretted opening the link. His stomach tied into the same knot every time he saw these sorts of comments. It's a sick part of the society we live in today and no one is doing anything about it, he continued. Where's the positivity? Why is everyone so miserable and angry? It wasn't just the press or online trolls getting to Harry. It was also the institution of the monarchy. Barely a week went by without an aspect of their internal affairs or matters of private discussions being twisted and leaked to the press. They felt as though there were very few members of the palace staff they could trust. Harry's relationship with his brother, William, which had been strained for a while, was only getting worse. If there was any silver lining, it was confirmation that their decision to take some time away from the public eye and the noise, as Meghan called it, was exactly what they needed. The outdoors and relative remoteness of the property in Vancouver Island's North Saanich neighbourhood would do them good, particularly after what had been a whirlwind six months since welcoming their first child in May. Their new parents had worked non-stop, all while under the relentless spotlight that defines what it means to be part of the British royal family. Even though Harry and Meghan were surrounded by pristine nature, they were anything but serene. The break was actually far from that, said a source close to the couple. What appeared to the outside world like an idyllic getaway was actually an angst-ridden time, with Harry and Meghan spending hours mapping out various scenarios for their future. The prince had hit his boiling point over the ongoing arguments, rumours and annoying back and forth with the palace. The year had seen a number of personal highs for the couple, of which the most significant was the birth of their son, Archie. The September issue of British Vogue, which Meghan Guest edited, had become their fastest-selling issue ever, and the capsule clothing collection she created to raise money for the women's unemployment charity Smartworks had been an instant sellout at Marks & Spencer and other retailers. Harry recently launched Travelist, a new global sustainable travel initiative that he hoped would change the tourism industry for good. Harry and Meghan planned to keep working during their stay in Canada, they had a lot on their to-do list, including finishing setting up their non-profit organisation and continuing to advocate for the charities that they were royal patrons of back home. But somehow, it all felt easier to do in the Canadian estate's wood-panelled study that looked out over the manicured grounds' white spruce and birch trees, 
even if in reality they usually wound up working in the kitchen, leaving their MacBooks to make cups of tea or coffee. Their decision to go abroad and stay abroad for Christmas rather than return for the traditional festivities at Sandringham, the Queen's country estate in Norfolk, with other senior members of the royal family, only reinforced the negative narrative about the couple in the UK. Newspapers were calling it a major snub to the Queen, even though in reality Harry had okayed his plans with his grandmother and boss before they left the country. The Queen, who saw Harry and Meghan regularly since they all lived on the Windsor estate, actually encouraged him to take the trip. After all, they had spent the past two Christmases at her Norfolk retreat, and other family members, including the Cambridges, had skipped festive visits here and there too. The Christmas decorations were not going up yet. They still had Thanksgiving to think about, and Meghan's mother, Doria, was preparing at that moment to travel from her home in LA to the estate in Victoria. Meghan and her mother, who couldn't wait to see her Archie, had been excitedly exchanging texts before the trip. Her grandson was growing fast and had gotten much taller since she last saw him in the summer. He's in the 90th percentile for height, Megan boasted to friends, before she eagerly offered to pull out her phone to show some of the many photos she had of her boy. Though their Canadian home was temporary, Harry and Megan had done everything they could to make sure it was baby-friendly. Sharp corners were proofed with discreet rubber pads, and certain items of furniture moved out of harm's way. With the six-month-old now standing and shuffling along the edges of furniture more than crawling, they didn't want to take any risks. They also tried to paparazzi-proof the property. Additional fencing had been installed around the perimeter to prevent the long camera lenses they knew would eventually show up from interrupting their daily walks with Archie around the wooded landscape and sandy beachfronts. Protecting Archie and maintaining his privacy was a top priority for the couple. It started when they chose not to give their son a royal title. Harry, who learned the dark side of growing up in the royal fishbowl early on in his life by watching his mother relentlessly chased by the paparazzi, and Meghan, quickly getting the same lesson, both wanted to ensure their son chose his own destiny, rather than being forced into one by virtue of the family he'd been born into. Those first days at the waterfront home delivered the peace Harry and Meghan had been longing for. It was the first time in months that the couple, who started their days with yoga and making breakfast together, had felt any sense of calm. But despite the quiet that surrounded them, Harry and Meghan were in turmoil. A heavy decision weighed on them. After almost three years of regular attacks on the British press and a family they felt had not done enough to support them, things had to change. How and what that meant still needed sorting out, but they knew that they had to follow their hearts. Thank you.